about meeting like this is the opportunity to not only connect with people, but to reconnect with people as well. I mean, if you're at home, it's wonderful that you're home, you're online, you join us. If you can, come join us in person. It is wonderful to reconnect. Like, for example, a big thank you to Rodney, who came and shared the word last week and the testimony that he gave to a lot of us. Now, I've known Rodney since 1997. Um, so we're looking now at about 25 years I've known Rodders for. And, and whilst we don't, we have this initial connection when we've met, and met that, that long ago, um, I haven't seen him in person for a number of years, even before COVID. And so I had this opportunity to reconnect with him again on Sunday and, and just talk, see how his family's doing, see how he's going. Um, you know, I speak to him every so often. So it's always a great blessing to be able to reconnect or to connect with people. Now, the reason why I, I talk about connection, and, and those of you who have been speaking with me are probably getting sick of hearing about that word, about connection, uh, about engagement, is because as you read the scriptures, it is the story or the account of God connecting with his people, of God interacting with his people, of God reaching out to his people and establishing that connection with them, not for his benefit, but for theirs. Or, specifically speaking, not for his benefit, but for ours. He sent his son in order to reestablish that connection to reconcile us to himself again. And so this morning, if you've got your Bibles, please turn to Joshua chapter 7. Because what I want to look at today was that whole idea of reconnection. For whatever reason we have, we have friendships, we have relationships that for whatever reason, it might be a certain season of life, it might be a different context we go through, there might be a falling out, but sometimes connections get broken. And what we do when those connections get broken, depending on who the person is, depending on what the context is, depending on what your role is in the breaking of that connection, we sometimes look at and endeavor to reconnect with those people. This is something I want us to look at today. As we look at Joshua 7 verses 1 to 13, I'm not going to do one big reading, I'm going to work through it together, but as we look at that, I want you to keep in mind that whole idea of reconnecting, even of breaking that connection, but what God does to reconnect with his people. Keep that in your mind as we go through this passage today, because contextually speaking, God has revealed himself on numerous occasions to the children of Israel, his, his faithfulness, his provision, and his power on behalf of his people. I mean, if you look, he's, he's already delivered them from Egypt. He provided for them an avenue through the Red Sea. He gave to them sustenance in the form of manna from heaven or from quail or water from a rock. He's now at this particular point part of the Jordan where they went through the Jordan and they overcame in Joshua chapter 6 the first of their many obstacles they face as they go into the promised land. That of Jericho, if you remember in Deuteronomy 7 verse 22, how it says the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once. So Jericho was at first, was the first little of those little by littles. So if you'll allow me, I'm going to open a word of prayer, and we're going to work our way through this passage as we look at how not only our connection with, but also our reconnecting with, God, regardless of where you're at, 
regardless of whether you know him or if you don't know him. The idea that we have to be able to reconnect with God and the avenues he's given us to be able to do so. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your love, for your mercy, for your compassion, and for your grace. Thank you so much as we look at the world around us that you are in complete control. Thank you so much with the uncertainties and the doubts that we might be filled with. You reign above those. I pray this morning as we look at your word that you might reconnect with us if we have turned our back on you. That you might connect with us if we are feeling lost. That you will draw us closer to yourself and that by your spirit we might not, we might not only find the fullness of our lives but also the contentment and the comfort that your spirit gives. Please speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. What I like about this passage is that there is a comparison that can be made. Actually, if you read through a lot of Joshua, there's a comparison that can be made between how God deals with Israel that is completely comparable to how God conducts himself with us. What I mean by that is the imagery represented by Israel and their conduct is also reflective of how we conduct ourselves in our walks with Jesus. And in this case, if you look at second, I think it's Second Corinthians, oh no, First Corinthians, chapter ten, and um, verses one to thirteen, what you have there is God. Oh, sorry, Paul talking about Israel and and their failings and and all those things that they go through. And he says in verse six of First Corinthians ten, he says these things occurred as examples. They're examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they, as in Israel, did. You see, many a preacher has likened the taking of the promised land as an accurate representation of what the Christian life is like. For example, if you look at Israel and the deliverance from Egypt through God's power, you look at our deliverance from the bondage of slavery to sin through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. You look at the victory over Israel's enemies by God's power. You look at our victory over sin's rule through Jesus Christ and his word. You look at the land of abundance promised to the people of Israel and the life of abundance promised to us through Jesus Christ, enabled by his Holy Spirit. So when you read of Israel in Joshua chapter 6 overcoming Jericho by obedience to God's word through faith and trust in him, so too can we experience victory over our individual Jerichos as well. Through obedience, yes, but also through faith and trusting in Jesus Christ and his leading. You see, the connection that God has with Israel is a connection that he establishes. Like Israel only, only experiences victory as they remain connected to him. So too with us. As we remain connected to the vine, do we experience victory over the various Jerichos that we experience in our lives? So then what happens? What happens? What breaks that connection? And this is the first thing I want to look at as we look at this first part of Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 through to 5. And I call it this. The danger of not being on guard against our own independent spirit. It's the danger of not being on guard of our own independent spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but the older I'm getting, the more I've come to, stand, come to understand how much trouble I get myself into. How much mischief 
that I actually place myself in as a follower of Jesus. And in verses 1 to 5, we see the struggle with temptation and the battle with self-reliance as exemplified through the actions of one man, yes, but that one man affects the whole nation. And I think it's something that we all, we all sort of wrestle with to some degree. So, a bit of context again. In the destruction of Jericho, they were specifically told they were not to take anything away from Jericho. It had been, the NIV, the NIV states, it had been devoted to the Lord. When I say it was devoted to the Lord, in the authorized King James Version, that word devoted is translated as accursed. It was accursed to the Lord. Devoted just meant it was completely given over to God for him to do with whatever he wants. Usually in this case, it was his complete destruction. So you weren't allowed to do it. In the King James, it says this in uh, Joshua chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. It reads this. And the city, meaning Jericho, shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab, the harlot, shall live, she and all that are with her in her house. Go to verse 18. And you in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed when you take the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. That's from the King James. Once again, in the NIV it says devoted. Now, let's have a look at this first thing. Achan's action. This is his giving in to temptation. In verse 1, I'm reading from the New King James here, it says this. The children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Kami, well, I heard one preacher call him Achan, but I'll stick with Achan. Achan, the son of Kami, took, oh, sorry, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. There is the temptation for Achan to take something he's not supposed to take, and he does. Now, this temptation isn't sinful. It is the giving into that temptation that makes it sinful. We know temptation is not sinful because we look at Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus was tempted. He didn't yield to it. He was tempted, but that's not sin. What is sin is when you give in to that temptation. That's the following through and yielding to that temptation that has far more drastic consequences. You'll notice we're not actually told what the accursed thing is. You know why? Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The fact is, everything there was, so, was, was devoted to the Lord for him to do with as he saw fit. And in this case, it was to destroy it. But because, but because Achan took it, the whole of the nation of Israel suffered for it. It was the effect that it had. Now here I am told in James chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 that when a man is tempted, you can't say that you're tempted by God. But every man is tempted when? When he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Thus, the accursed thing was something specific that Achan saw and liked. And he followed through on this. Now, what is the accursed thing in your life or in my life that causes a connection with God to be broken? What is that accursed thing that you hold on to that causes the friction, not only in relationships that you have with people, but more importantly, the relationship you have with God? 
What is that thing? It could be it could be anything from the gossip that you share at the workplace about somebody else that you work with. It could be the lustful looks that you have for somebody that you know you shouldn't be having. It could be the aggression that you have because somebody has offended you that you're not willing to sort of humble yourself and get settled with them. It, it could be the angry spirit. It, it could be the something that you steal. It could be the shading dealings in, in your workplace. It could be the proud, arrogant attitude you might have towards somebody else because they don't fit the particular picture that you have. It could be 101 things within your own life. But you know what happens when you have that? When you have that temptation to say that thing you know you shouldn't say, when you have that temptation to take that thing that you shouldn't take, when you have that temptation to respond that way that you know you shouldn't respond, that when you give in to that, that accursed things breaks your connection with your God. Breaks your connection with your Savior. Breaks the intimacy that you have with him. And what's more, what's more is this. You know what? Joshua doesn't know that this is happening. He doesn't see this happening. But he experiences the effects of it. And so for a lot of us, a lot of us, we might go around and conduct ourselves in certain ways, not realizing that what we're doing is actually fulfilling a sinful attitude. That is actually having a sinful effect on those around us, including yourself. The, uh, the, the watching of the particular websites that you know you shouldn't watch. The reading of particular information that you know you shouldn't read. Those accursed things that you wrestle with. And what's more is, because our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, more often than not, we don't even realize what we're doing is wrong. We deceive ourselves into thinking it's okay. Classic example I've always used, I think it's really good because it applies to everybody, like the illegal downloading of stuff. I always use that one because you think it's not hurting anybody. It's not going to affect anyone. They've got billions of dollars. It doesn't matter. Well, yeah, but it's not what God said. It's just a, it's just a more fancy way of stealing but we use that to justify it. It's what we do. That is our sinful spirit. That's what happens. The giving in to such temptation and the effect that it can have. And because of this effect, what do we read? As we carry on from verses 3 to 5, <clears throat> uh, sorry, from 2 to 5, we have what I call Israel's presumption. And this is the battle with self-reliance, because you read in verse 2, if you want to look at it, I'm not going to read it out. Verse 2, what does Joshua do? Joshua sends out some spies. He goes, go have a look at the next city. Go check out Ai. Once again, he doesn't know Achan's taken this. Go check out Ai. Let us know what you think. They come back and they give their assessment, but they give their assessment from a human perspective. And what happens when they give their assessment from a human perspective? It results in a purely human solution. Read with me, once again, from the King James, from verse 3 to 5. So the spies returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So 
about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai, verse 5. And the men of Ai struck down. In the King James, it says smoted. Which I, I, I laugh myself. I just like that word. Smoted about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. So you have a human assessment providing a human solution, which resulted in human consequences. They got smashed. See, this was an act taken without Joshua knowing their current spiritual standing before the Lord. Maybe they were on a high from the victory they had in Jericho. Maybe it's just a routine military practice to best prepare for the next steps. Perhaps Joshua trusted the assessment of his spies. But what I do know is this, that if Joshua would have been better informed regarding AI, he would have been better informed regarding AI if he sought the Lord first. Remember, remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Well, Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. See, all that could have been avoided if Joshua, instead of taking his spies' assessment, said, Lord, what do you think? Lord, what do we do? In all your ways, acknowledge him, Proverbs 3 says. Secondly, assessing the challenge from a purely human from purely a human perspective could have been avoided. It could have been avoided. You see, Galatians chapter six, verses seven and eight, when it says, "Be not deceived; God is not mocked. For what a man sows, that shall he also reap." Now, in verse eight, it says this: "If you sow to the flesh, you shall of the flesh reap." And the NIV it says, "Destruction." That's what happened here. Human assessment without divine guidance resulted in them handling the situation in their flesh ended up in their destruction. Once again, would have been avoided if Joshua just consulted with the Lord. But thirdly, their humbling, their humiliation wouldn't have been at such a high cost. 36 people died. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12, it says, it says that we have to be careful. Therefore, if any man thinks he stands, lest he falls. When you think you stand in the flesh, you're going to fall in the flesh. Pride goes before destruction. Was this a sense of pride on their part? The fact that they viewed it from a human perspective, provided a human solution, got smoted, and in their humbling realized, okay, what did I do wrong? See, what does that, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me? I was telling Jono this this morning. I've got a sore back muscle. I've still got a sore back muscle, and I don't know how it got sore. Yes, I go to the gym, I work out. It hadn't been for a little while, though. And, and the only thing, I went to the doctor and says, yeah, I've, I've just got this really sore back muscle. Like, it hurts when I move. Even when I lie down, I try to switch, you know, move and all that sort of stuff. I had a, I had a wonderful coffee with my brother, uncle, uh, brother Mike Moran, and we talked about our age and just what's happening. And so the only conclusion of how I hurt my back, this is the only conclusion. I must have rolled in my, be- in my sleep in a funny direction. That's the only thing. How do you like that? You move and you pull a muscle. That's not good. Now, here's this though. Pain is the body's way of telling you that something's not right. Pain is the body telling you, look, we need to get this looked at. Talk to Jono. He's hurt himself too because he's getting old as well. 
but it's the body's way of informing you that something's not right with you. And in like manner, in like manner, there are things that happen in your spiritual life to show you, to reveal to you by God that something's not right with your relationship with Him. The the, the restlessness of spirit, the, the lack of peace in any circumstance. The, the spiritual apathy, they, these things can sometimes come forth as an indicator that there might be a disconnection or something that has caused a disconnection with me and my God, much like what happened to Israel. You see, they didn't know anything was wrong until they failed, until they caught, God allowed them to go in and realize that it was beyond their ability. It is beyond their strength. If you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, it speaks to how the Lord disciplines those that he loves and accepts as his children. Thus, the love expressed by God in disciplining me is done so that I can only find my contentment in him, that I can only find my purpose in him, that I can only find my peace in him, that I can only find my strength in him. Those things happen around me where I'm like, and, and you know this, you know this in your own lives, you know this when you are sitting there saying, Lord, I, 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 don't, I don't sense the closeness that we once shared. Lord, and I'm reading your word, I'm, I'm not seeing the beauty of who you are in the scriptures. Lord, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not addressing the struggles or, or how I parent or how I look after my wife. There, there's, there's something not right. And you all experience this. And you all sit there and you go, Lord, what's going on? God sometimes allows you. Uh, what's that line? It's an old people line. I remember hearing it as a kid. Now I'm an old person, I guess I can use it. But it says, you're giving you enough rope to hang yourself by? Have you heard of that thing? All the old people are like, yeah, all the uncles and aunties, yeah, I know that. But sometimes, sometimes God gives us enough rope, not to hang us by, but to show us, you, you, you can't do this. This is beyond you. Things aren't right. Which is what makes this next part of the passage so exciting for me. And so exciting. It should be exciting for you too. And this is in verses 6 to 9. This is what I call the blessedness. The blessedness of failure. And the amazing privilege of access to God. The blessedness of failure. From a human perspective, failure, as difficult as it is, as hard as it is to deal, to deal with, also leads to an important reality. In failure, you learn. In failure, you discover what works and what doesn't work. From a biblical perspective, failure, I like to put it more accurately as what 2 Corinthians 12 says, our weaknesses, our insults, our hardships, our persecutions, our difficulties, those things God allows us to go through. Why? Because it is then that the power of Christ rests upon me. For when I'm weak, what is it? Then I am strong, because it is in Christ. So those failures, or those weaknesses, all those things, this is the blessedness of failure, where God shows me, Joe, you can't do it, I'm here. You see, in Israel's failure, we read of Joshua's response, a response where, where this failure drove Joshua to God. It drove him to God. And the fact that Joshua had access 
to God granted him a great privilege to be able to voice his heart and to question and to ask of him. You see, the opportunity to ask of God the questions that we have is an amazing opportunity that we have to do so. Okay, read with me. Verse 6, we read this. Joshua tore his clothes, which is a sign of great grief, and then fell onto the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. This is a, just a sign of humility, of, 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 of dependence, of submission to God's authority, because there was a lack of understanding of what they were going through. And so they go, go to, and this is what he says in verse 7. And Joshua said in verse 7, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites? To destroy us? Oh, what, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? One of the beauty, beautiful things about the Psalms, one of the beautiful things about this passage here, God is not afraid of your questions. He is not afraid of your questions. He's far bigger than your questions. God is not afraid of your doubts. He is far bigger than your doubts. God is not afraid of your uncertainties. He is far bigger than your uncertainties. You can come before God in openness and honesty and pour out your heart, which is what the Psalms are. The Psalms, when you read some of David's Psalms, is him just, it's just complaining. Just complaining before God and asking, Lord, why? I don't understand. Lord, I, and, and, and this is what he is doing here. This is the privilege that Joshua has to ask of God and to throw at him all these questions because he doesn't see the bigger picture. He doesn't know what's going on. And the limited understanding we have, we have been made acceptable to God by Jesus Christ, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And in that acceptance, you know what we can do? We can ask God what's going on. Lord, I don't understand why my dad has cancer. Lord, I don't understand why my daughter's going through what he's going through. Lord, I don't understand why I'm getting hurt. Lord, I don't understand. You know what? He's not afraid of such questions. But how we respond to our situation reveals one of two things. One, where our trust really is. That's what it reveals. When we go through such difficulties, when we go through such hardships, when we experience such failures, and in this case, their failures were from their own sin. And that's why God has no, quest, no problem. So that one, just, just, you know, where my trust really is. The second thing it reveals is how well I really know God. That's what it reveals. Who I trust and how well I really know him. And the reality is many of us, including myself, we have a tendency to forget, even in my failures, how much I am still loved by God. How much I am still loved by Him, even in the midst of those difficulties. That in my weaknesses, He is my strength. That in my struggles, He is my strong tower. That even in my disobedience, as the good shepherd, we are told, his rod and his staff, well, they comfort me. 
Now, for those of you who you've probably heard this, you know what you know what a shepherd's staff is called? What's it called? It's called a crook. It's crook. It's a crook. So, as a shepherd, what they would do? Because how how is a rod and a staff comforting to sheep? Because when a sheep goes off its track, what does the crook do? They either one hook around it and then yank it back into line, or two give it a bit of a crack so it gets back into line. How is a rod and staff comforting? Well, in God's disciplining of me, He brings me back into line with His heart. It may hurt. But in the greater picture of eternity, he's doing it because of his love for me. It isn't, it isn't done so to harm me, but to grow me. It is not done to punish me, but to discipline me. You know what the difference is between punishment and discipline? Punishment's done out of anger. It's a reaction. Punishment's done because you want to get in your ear and get ye. That's what punishment is. Discipline, discipline, like I remember, and I've told you this, when I used to get the strap from my parents, I'm only doing this because I love you. I didn't like it, but I look at it now and think how much my parents love me because of all the beatings. Like, no, it wasn't because of all the beatings they got. I deserved. All the time I got disciplined by my parents, I deserved. I, I can't think of any time I wasn't disciplined unreasonably. Uh, I'll get my, my family to back me up on that one. Okay, anyway. All right. But, see, even, even when I was God's enemy, even when I was his enemy, he demonstrated his love toward me. What does Romans 5, 8 say? That God commended his love toward me, that while I was yet a sinner, while I was still his enemy, Christ died for me. See, how much more then, as his enemy, he reaches out to me, how much more then, as his child, will he invest into me and discipline me to hold on to me? In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, we read this. For if... When we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Now get that. That's from the New King James. So while, while we were enemies of God, God sent his son to reconcile, to make me or provide an avenue that I could be friends with God again. While I was his enemy, while I didn't want anything to do with him, while I had my back turned, that's what God done for me in Jesus Christ. So then, the end of the verse says, how much more than being reconciled? So now that I am his friend, now that I am his child, now that I do belong to him, how much more then shall we be saved by his life? How much more then will he hold on to me so that I won't be lost? How much more then will he invest into me so he holds me close to him? How much more then will his, his rod and his staff, how much more then will that comfort be involved yes even in my disobedience when he disciplines me this is the amazing privilege we have in our weakness and in our failure because we have now in jesus christ this wonderful blessing of being called this child and that the creator of the universe invests himself into me that's beautiful that's beautiful and it's the truth we see in what he reveals to Joshua at the end of the passage in verses 10 to 13 and this is what I call the kindness of God's grace that leads to my repentance it's the kindness of God's grace that leads to my repentance the passage is amazing because it shows remember that word I said when you read this passage yes we have someone giving into sin yes we have the failure that they go through yes we have the complaint and and the questioning of God but then we have the connection and 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 what God desires what God does to reconnect 
with his people. That's what makes this so beautiful. It's a passage that shows the heart of a loving, patient, fair, and involved father with his children. Because he lays out this expectation, don't take anything from the land. He allows his children the freedom to choose. Someone go, I'm going to go take this. Then he says, okay, you took it. You have to suffer the consequences of that choice that you made. And they did suffer for that choice. They got smoted by AI. Then he, this is what, see, God doesn't have to do this, but he does. He provides to Joshua an explanation of why they are going through what they are going through. And then what he does now is that he provides an avenue in order that the people can be reconciled or reconnected with him. Read with me in, in verses 10 to 13. So remember, Joshua's lying on his face. He's complaining, Lord, what's going on? Him and all the elders. This is what God says in verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, the Lord says to us, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be, among, be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed thing from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Now, I have shared this numerous times from the front. I've shared this numerous times with people individually, but it's the reality that God says to Joshua and his people, get up, their sin deal with it, then move on. See, our tendency, my tendency, is that we think we've got to pay God back. Lord, I've done this. All right, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. We think we need to pay God back. We can't pay. You cannot outgive God. You cannot repay God. God knows that nothing you have to offer really is of any use to him. He allows us the privilege to come before him and play a part in his will. He allows us that. He accepts our worship. He accepts our praise. We are allowed to do that. He allows those things for us. He says to you and I, when you've felt disconnected with God, when you felt distant from God, he says to you, just like he said to Joshua, get up. Get up. Why, why, why are you dwelling here? I've taken care of the power of sin in your life through my son. Why are you staying down there? You don't have to stay down there because I've removed the power of sin in your life. Why are you staying down there? Why are you staying down there? I have made you my child and that you are more than overcomers through Jesus Christ. Why are you staying down there? Why are you staying down there? You get up, be holy for I am holy. Why are you staying down there? I've given you all things. And finisher of our faith. Where we have failures, when we distance ourselves from him, he is continually reaching out. He is continually reaching out to reconnect. He is continually reaching out to reconcile. You see, this whole passage is about how God desires to connect with his people, to remain connected with his people. And when that connection is broken by us, how we are reconnected with him as his people. 
You see, you may feel disconnected from the church, but you never have to feel disconnected from God. You may feel disconnected from your family, but you never have to be disconnected from God. You might even be disconnected or alienated from your friends, but you never need to have your connection with God suffer because my connection with God is not grounded in the act. Suffer because my connection with God is not grounded in the activity that I do or in the church that I attend or the position that I have at church. My connection with God is based solely upon Jesus Christ upon what he has done, and that I'm born again of his spirit, that I am his child, and what he has done for us on the cross. And because I'm secure in him, then I can be on guard about those things, especially my own self-reliance, my own spiritual independence. I can be on guard on such things because he is with me, and his rod and his staff comfort me that I can understand the blessedness of failure and the privilege that I have when I have access to him, that even in my failures, he has given provision for such failures, that I can repent and confess and be drawn back to himself. And that, that his goodness, that his kindness, that in even allowing me that little bit of rope to hang myself with, that with that same rope, he draws me back to himself. And that I can find no other contentment, that I can find no other solution, that I can find no other purpose except in him and in him alone. You see, as you read through the book of Joshua, as you read through the scriptures, you'll notice that the victories that are encountered by the children of Israel, the victories encountered by the various men and women of God within the scriptures, all those victories that they encountered all took place whilst they were connected with God. And that when there was failure, it was when they chose to break the connection for whatever reason. That same thing has been made available to us in Jesus Christ. Our connection with God has been established by him. Our reconnection with God is established in him as well. That's what the God of the Bible, that's what the God of creation desires, to connect with you personally and to hold on to that connection because of the extent that he went to to show how much he loved you, he wants you to know it, to understand it, and because of it, remain connected with him. That's the excitement of this passage. That's the goodness, that is the grace, that is the mercy of our God. And that's a privilege that we get to be a part of, which excites my heart, and I pray it excites yours too. So, with that, we're not going to close on a song. We just want to uh, be upstanding. I'll close in a word of prayer, and then we'll be about our days. Heavenly Father, as we stand in your presence now, we thank you that victory is found in your Son, Jesus Christ. That destiny and, and security and, and purpose and meaning and everything that we are is found in our connection with you. I pray that today, if we are not connected with you, that for whatever reason we have given into temptation, that for whatever reason we have fallen into sin, that for whatever reason we have turned our backs on you, I thank you that in your Son, Jesus Christ, we find forgiveness, we find redemption, we find hope. So I pray for those of us, if we are feeling disconnected, 
that you will reach out to us now, that you will comfort us if we are feeling sorrowful, that you will raise us up if we are downcast, that we will look to repent of whatever it is that we have, that it may have caused our disconnection with you in the first place. Um, and Father, and that you will restore that which we have forsaken. So Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you that he draws us to yourself. And I pray that we as your people respond to the call you have placed in each of our lives and in each of our hearts. Father, please help us. In Jesus' name we pray.